Welcome to Coffee and an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and I'm here today with Mary Catherine Labossier, who is a dietitian and is going to talk about the psychology of emotional eating. Mary Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too, because this is a very important topic. I think it affects many of us. And I figure we can just jump right in and have you tell us a little bit first about yourself so we can have a sense of what is a dietitian and how do what role do you play in this world of helping individuals with emotional eating? Yeah. So to become a dietitian, just to give some background, uh, you go to school, you get your degree, a minimum of a master's at this point, and then you do an internship, um, a lot of internship actually, and then uh, take a national exam and then do all the things. So it's a very complex process to become a dietitian, a registered dietitian, but I decided to do that um, after having some personal experiences with food in high school and just really wanting to be on that prevention side of medicine and healthcare. And so I got my bachelor's in nutrition, became a dietitian, then I got my master's in public health, and now I'm here and owning and operating Defy Nutrition. Yes, and, and that is an amazing company. Tell us a little bit more about Defy Nutrition and the work that you do there before we jump into this topic of emotional eating. Sure. So our slogan at Defy Nutrition is defy the rules, defy yesterday's you. So what we really do with that is embrace defying diet culture, getting out of this cycle of dieting, weight loss, weight regain, and just never feeling content. And instead focusing on just making improved habits so that we're improving ourselves from the day before. So as if I, I do one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling, offer meal plans, and then I've also done a variety of group workshops. I love teaching nutrition. So I've done everything from teaching nutrition for performance, for special operations in the military, to teaching how to build a healthy meal for Girl Scouts. So we kind of run the gamut of all the topics and really just making nutrition accessible to everybody. You mentioned some of the groups you work with, and I think it's part of the pathway as to how you started your business on the business side. Um, tell us a little bit about why did you decide to start Define Nutrition and, and what, you know, in terms of that piece, uh, you mentioned military. Yeah, so um, my husband's actually military. And so when we moved here, for anyone who's not familiar with the military community, we move very often and there's not always great job opportunities. And so moving here, at first I was like, man, I'm super bummed out. There's no dietitian jobs. What am I supposed to do with that? And in some places, the market's oversaturated, but like there's more dietitians than you can count, but we're in a location where there just were not any. And so instead of really taking that personally of like, man, what am I going to do? I realized that that was a perfect opportunity for me to fill the void in the community and really serve people and give them that access that they were looking for that didn't exist here before. And I love how you found this passion and then you found a need and you kind of bridge it together to create defined nutrition in a way that now also operates remotely. So it's a great strategy and being able to fulfill that career passion and help individuals in your community. So I just wanted to point that out. It was a, it, you know, doors open where we least expect it. Yeah, I was never expecting to be a business owner, ever. <laughs> and, and then in that sense, you've been able to empower a lot of people who are struggling with emotional eating, which is what we're here to talk about today. Tell me a little bit, first of all, what is emotional eating? Yeah, so emotional eating by definition is essentially using food to cope with a variety of emotions 
Um, so not necessarily, you know, honoring what our body needs, but more feeding our mind with food. Um, and so there's different categories of emotional eating. So sometimes you might hear about stress eating or boredom eating, and those are kind of like subtypes of emotional eating. So boredom eating, you know, you're obviously responding, you're eating food to fill the time because you're bored. Stress eating, you might not be feeling whatever that emotion is, but you're stressed, you're using food to cope with that. And then emotional eating is going to kind of encapsulate all of those things. So maybe it means grabbing drinks after a really great day, or maybe it means grabbing a pint of ice cream after a breakup. And so there's much more range with emotional eating and stress eating is just a subtype of that. Okay. And I think a lot of us are very familiar with emotional eating, the general term, and some of us with the stress eating, I think all of us say, oh, you know, the breakup and the pint of ice cream, you know, I feel miserable, I'm going to have this cake, or I'm going to grab this drink, or I'm going to, or, you know, the board side, I don't know, you know, I'm going to sit here and watch TV, let me grab a big bowl of chips and some dip, and let's make popcorn, and now let's add some cake to that, and <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> And then this uh, this this little break in time where you're watching a movie turns into a 2,000 calorie uh, craze on, on the couch. So I, th- I think it's something that we all are very aware of, especially some of us bring um, emotional stress from our families, things that are going on at home, things going on at work. And we bring that into the home and or, or elsewhere and, and start, you know, emotion, eating emotionally, not not using the right strategies, but just eating away. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to explain and and make or normalize that this is this is honestly part of the human experience, or at least the American human experience. We we all do it, right? Like I do it. Everyone does it at some point or the other. It's it's different when it becomes a problem and it's this kind of problematic repetitive behavior, but it, it is normal. It is what we do. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the the cake and that flashed me back to my freshman year in college, like the first week I was walking into the, the cafeteria and I saw a girl at a table and she was just like sobbing because she wanted to join this one sorority and she didn't get it. And so she was just like, I'm just going to eat my chocolate cake. And that's just, that's just the, the society that we've grown up in and we've been exposed to. And so it is normal and it's understanding, you know, that it's okay to do it, but when is it becoming a problem that we need to get help for? That's a great way of putting it as well, and uh, and finding the right balance. So, talk a little bit about um, any cases of emotional eating or any more information that you think we should have to understand emotional eating, and then let's jump into some strategies that we could use so that we can find the right balance, so that we're able to eat when it makes sense, to enjoy the cake when it makes sense, and and then make some right decisions and and come up with good habits. Yeah, so I I think there's a lot there, right? So I think first understanding that emotional eating isn't just the food going into our body, but that emotional mind experience. And so for me and my experience, you know, with Define Nutrition and trying to speak out against diet culture, we have this tendency to restrict, restrict, restrict. Okay, I want that food even more. I can't have it, so I'm not going to have it. And then, oh my gosh, I'm going to have it. And then we eat it, but we go overboard. So then we feel guilty or we feel shameful or just like not good. And so there's, <laughs> there's this cycle, right? And so it's understanding the different kind of points that we can interject and interrupt that cycle. But I think it's under, it's important to understand that the more we restrict, the more likely it is for us to emotionally eat because our body's not nourished. Our mind isn't nourished. We're not, we're not giving our body enough energy. 
Um, so I think it's really important to first start with understanding that kind of cycle of, of how it all starts. <clears throat> That's good because then and then understanding how much you actually do need in order to sustain your body, because I think a lot of us end up going to the other extreme and depriving ourselves. And I've been there sort of, OK, I'm, I can only eat twelve hundred calories a day. That's not enough. And so finding that right balance so that our bodies can be fueled. Yeah, I think that's so important. And with the clients I work with, I would say probably eight out of 10 were increasing their calories in order to help them with whatever their health goal might be, including weight loss. Like sometimes we're just not eating enough to even allow our body to burn calories and lose weight. And then we're not eating enough, we're more likely to go overboard without emotional eating. And so it is this cycle and understanding, okay, my body, just like my car, my car needs gasoline or electricity, if we're using an electric car, right? It needs gasoline to run. Our body needs food to run, to be efficient, to be effective, to fight whatever stressors are going on in our lives. That makes sense. And the other thing is we, you know, when we met, we were talking about this connection. So we're talking about food for fuel. And we were also talking this connection about how we feel and bridging, bridging what we eat with how our stomachs feel, with um, any um, medical ailments or disorders we might have. Can you speak a little bit about that and the role full, full, uh, food plays there in nutrition? Yeah, so a lot of times when I'm working with people with emotional eating, whether or not they realize it, they're having digestive issues as well. It's, it's become increasingly common in what I've seen. And a lot of times those might be people who have a diagnosis of IBS, for example. And we, we see that, you know, some foods might trigger that digestive issue, but it also just might be the constant high stress we have or not being able to deal with that emotion or not being able to manage and prioritize self-care. And so we've got those kind of physical ailments, whether it's nausea or ingestion or whatever it might be. And we don't often connect those to that emotional component, but really there's, there's that bridge there between emotional eating, digestive issues, and hey, these are actually connected. So what changes can we make to kind of solve both problems? What you were saying now made me think about journaling. I do a lot of work on reflective uh, journaling. So a lot of reflection, the reflection lets us learn, looking at the big picture. And I'm wondering, is that one of the techniques or how do you see something like journaling to be able to see for people to be able to track, track is a scary word. I'll we'll get to that in a moment, but for people to track what they're eating versus how they're feeling versus how their stomachs are feeling, like to be able to bridge this for themselves psychologically. Yeah. So when I work with people, I always take an individualized approach because we're all different, right? For some people, they love journaling and some people hate journaling and that's, that's okay. I would say the main underlying theme in, in that strategy that I figure out on that individual level is how do we bring more self-awareness? So journaling is, is a point of introspection, learning more about ourselves, connecting with ourselves. And we're in this world where we're just constantly busy and we don't slow down to really notice what's even going on. And I was listening to another podcast the other day and it was like, when was the last time you were bored without stimulation? And it was just like, wow, like you might be bored, but you're probably watching TV or listening to music, or maybe like your kids are playing in front of you. And so you still got that stimulation component. And so journaling or whatever strategy works best for that individual really allows you to slow down. So you can start noticing these patterns. 
And of course, you know, working with a professional, we have the outside lens. We can give you that third party perspective, but there's so much goodness in having that come from ourselves and come from within what if that method is journaling or whatever that might be. That's a great point. And, and self-awareness. I wrote that down as you were saying that um, becoming self-aware. I think that's a big part of this whole process when we're looking at eating and our habits and emotional eating overall. Um, these are This has been very informational for uh, those of us who might not even take time to become self-aware and think about how the role that food plays in our lives and how we think about food and nutrition. What are some strategies that you use to help your clients that maybe these are takeaways for us to help them with emotional eating, to help them find that right balance in life? So one strategy is going to be Focusing on hunger or habit and asking yourself, is this hunger or is this habit? So if you feel like you're going kind of off the wall with all the emotional eating, just taking a minute to pause again, focusing on like practice the pause. If you take nothing away from this, take away practice the pause and just ask yourself, like, am I hungry? Does my body need fuel or is this just a habit? I'm bored. I, this is my... I talked to one client about this, my meal cap, like my bookend to my meal. I have to have my dessert after my meal. I'm not hungry. It's just a habit. And so first is really understanding hunger versus habit. And on that flip side, I do have some clients who come to me who don't eat when they're stressed. And that's common as well. It's not um, as common, I would say, or as advertised, but it, it happens, right? We're really stressed. Our body's just like, nope, I don't want any food. And so in that instance, understanding is that hunger, which is that physiological need for energy, like our body needs that gasoline, just like our car does, or is it appetite and really thinking through that mental need for fuel? So you might not have an appetite when you're stressed, but maybe your body still needs that energy. And so whether you eat in response to stress or you don't eat in response to stress, understanding where your hunger falls into that um, gamut of emotions is really important. I like that. I, I'm picturing the car, you know, when it gets to eat almost and the light mm -hmm. goes on, say get gas soon. Uh, so that's hunger for me right now. Uh, yeah. When I'm hungry, it means I'm low on fuel. I need to get some fuel soon or I'm going to stall somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, an appetite is just that desire for the food or maybe mm -hmm. it's a loss of appetite. I don't really desire it. So I, I think that was a, a great way of putting it. Now I'm going to keep, keep picturing my gas um, <laughs> yeah. gas meter in my head. Okay, where's my gas? Where, where my, what's my fuel level before mm -hmm. I... I say, do I want to eat something? Do I not want to eat something? <laughs> yeah. And we have what's called the hunger fullness scale that I use with a lot of my clients. Um, and so really it's, it's that, that gauge for our own gasoline basically. And so understanding where we're at on that scale is a really helpful tool. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. And what are some other tips that you can share with us? Anything to do with um, how we think about food, portions, anything else that will help us in finding the right balance when we look at food as fuel? So I think there, there's a few more strategies. So one is understanding and what we do again at Define Nutrition is really focusing on you eating as a human being. And that means it's okay to eat in response to your emotions, but controlling the portion maybe. So maybe instead of having, you know, a full bag of chips, you pre-portion it into a bowl and you let yourself actually mindfully enjoy those chips that you're eating versus just kind of mindlessly grabbing out of the bag. So that portion is is helpful in understanding that yes, we are human. Yes, it's okay. And that's going to also help with those feelings of guilt and shame. 
if we normalize and accept ourselves for having this human experience. So that's one is just really focusing on the portion and that acceptability component and giving yourself that grace. And then the other part is understanding and getting away from food labels. So labeling food as good and bad, giving some type of morality to food, right? So, you know, if it's a bad food, I can't have it. So I want it more. And then when I do emotionally eat, that's the food I want. So I'm going to go overboard on it. Whereas if it's a good food, maybe that means, well, it's a good food. So I can overeat and my portion is out of control. Or maybe it's a good food and that means eh, I can eat it whatever I want. So I don't really want to eat this good food when I'm like feeling down or whatever it might be. So I really encourage my clients to get away from those good and bad food labels. And it is a process. It is so hard. It's become so ingrained in us to be like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. That's good. And so really taking a step back and understanding, you know, that all foods can fit and it's getting away from those labels is going to help with that guilt and shame. And that's going to help with that emotional eating. And again, we've got just all these interlaced cycles going on here with these emotions. Yep. And I, I, I like this concept, food is fuel. And uh, I see myself struggling as you were saying that, you know, okay, what do I think as bad food? What do I think about as good food? And, and, and I can see why it takes a lot of work to get away from this binary way of thinking about food. Yeah. And I always like to say too, right. Sometimes people will see or listen and be like, well, you don't get it. You weren't there. And just for all the listeners, you know, I, I've been through that. I grew up obese. I actually went to the other end of the spectrum. I had an eating disorder and then became a dietitian. And I finally found this middle ground. And I can't tell you just how liberating it is to be able to eat a bowl of Lucky Charms and not just feel awful after. And I don't mean physically, I mean mentally awful. And so I want to explain that and relate to that because I, I understand how hard it is. And I think it's just taking time and, and chipping away at it, right? Like when we think of water going over a rock, it's going to go over, but it's going to take forever to erode. And we have to be patient with that journey. Yeah. Patience is key. I, I think that's important too, because a lot of times, and this is going to bring me to my next topic or question, but a lot of times we want immediate results. We want to balance how we eat and think about food and expect to reverse, you know, to lose 10 pounds and I'm exaggerating a week, yeah. maybe, maybe one time I wasn't exaggerating. I might have tried to do that, but you know, lose 10 pounds in a week or, you know, my A1C might be A, I'm going to get it down to five in a month. It's like, we want these immediate results and um, it's hard because then we give up because we're not seeing the results coming in fast enough for the work we're doing. And I love this idea of be patient. It takes time. And because we, if we are patient, it's more likely that our, our good habits will stick. They'll stay for a long time or forever because we've slowly molded them as part of our lives. Yes, exactly. I'm all about those sustainable habit changes, because like you said, you might you know, drop and do something crazy and you'll see immediate results, but those will not last. And then you're just going to feel mentally worse and I and just defeated and no one wants to feel defeated. That's not a fun feeling. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> I'm talking about this idea of good food versus bad food and moving away from this binary way of thinking of food as fuel. Another thing, and I'm, I'm part of this craze is a tracking craze, right? Um, I think my to-do list, super achieving 
personality, you know, when it's time to, to, to look at food, I start tracking, tracking calories, for example, on an app. And the problem with tracking calories is I'm just tracking calories. So if my app tells me eat 1400 calories, I can eat that in McDonald's. I'm not making the best food choices, but it could be McDonald's cheeseburgers and fries all day, or it could be something else. And the apps don't actually teach us about good and bad food, which is a good thing because we're moving away from the binary, but they're not teaching balance. So uh, tell me a little bit more about this uh, obsession and uh, pros and cons with tracking, uh, calorie tracking, fat tracking, carb tracking. Yeah. So I think, I think there's, there's so much there, right? So it's hard to simplify, but to make it as simple as I can, I think, you know, sometimes there can be a place for tracking. So I'm not anti-tracking by any means. I believe it can be used to, you know, help us identify patterns. You know, if we're hitting at slump at two o'clock, like maybe by tracking, we understand, hey, I'm actually not eating enough in the morning. So this makes sense why I'm hitting this energy slump in the afternoon. So it can be helpful for those patterns. It can be helpful for people who don't know the nutrition quality of their food. So maybe they think that, you know, this one food is giving them a bunch of protein and fiber, but then they actually learn that, you know, there's not much fiber in this and, you know, that's not necessarily nourishing me or helping me stay full. So I think in that instance, you know, it can give us helpful insights. It can give us these patterns to, you know, try to do it ourselves. On that flip side, especially as someone who, you know, I can relate to you, you know, we've got the to-do list. I'm a type A personality. I obsessively tracked for a long time when I had my eating disorder. And I think, um, you know, that we have to be cautious, especially if we have a tendency to have that more obsessive, meticulous, perfectionist personality to go overboard. And so I, I really exercise a lot of caution in, you know, suggesting whether or not a person should log For a lot of my clients, I have the ability to turn off nutrition where maybe they log, but I see the nutrition and they don't. And I find a lot of value in that because they're identifying the patterns, but they're not obsessing about the numbers. And I think it's important too, because like you said, you might be hitting one target, but maybe you're not actually nourishing your body. Maybe you're getting, you know, however many calories, but you're not actually getting the carbs or the protein you need or the fiber you need. And those apps aren't perfect. I can't tell you how many people I increase their calories from the app because it's it's too strict of kind of how many calories we can have. And then when we are tracking, you know, we end up not eating for the majority of the day because we're so afraid that we're going to hit dinner and we're not going to have enough calories left. And then we're just going to go like overboard and we're starving and we have no energy. And so what a dinner could have been, I don't know, 500 calories is now 1200 because we were so hungry because we deprived ourselves all day long, just like so fearful of whatever these numbers are. And I think, I think there's so much there without, you know, trying to go into full on ramble mode, but I think there can be value, but I do think that they should be used with extreme caution. And if you are going to use them, always talking to a professional to see how that might work best for you, I think is really important. I think this is great advice. I, I, I also think it's interesting that the way we start talking about tracking just adds more stress to the emotional eating component. Yes. And what we're trying to do is balance that, not 
add more stress or more emotional components to the bigger picture of emotional eating. So that was a great tip. I also love that you use it. Um, you, the way you talked about using tracking was for self-awareness. And mm -hmm. I think that's a great lesson that we're repeating in this part of the conversation. You need to become self-aware, understand the patterns so that you're able to find the right balance in life. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Uh, so this has been extremely informative. I'm, I, I, uh, you know, you're making me feel happy about some of the changes that we're <laughs> making in the last few weeks in terms of my own nutrition and definitely giving me some tips for better balance, self-awareness and not getting into obsessive mode because then it's still not healthy in that sense. Um, what are um, any other tips or what are some other uh, points of advice that you might want to share? Anything I didn't get to ask you in the interview that you feel we should know? So one thing I will say, because this is such a heavy topic and I don't want to kind of brush over it at all, is that if the emotional eating is, you know, kind of spiraling out of control, sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times I would suggest kind of evaluating if you need a mental health provider to help you work through whatever kind of past trauma you've gone through or, you know, current stressors. Dietitians, we can help you with the food. We can help you with managing food and relations to emotion. Um, but sometimes we need, you know, to refer to someone who might be able to get to those deeper problems. So I do want to mention that and just make sure that, you know, it's, you understand it's okay to, you know, reach out for help. And sometimes having a dietitian and a therapist in tandem gives you the, the best results because you're addressing both, both sides of it. Um, so that would be kind of my, my biggest thing. And then also just understanding, you know, that, you know, this is human, but, when it gets to be where you don't feel like you have control anymore, where you feel like you're just spiraling or you're kind of in this cycle and you can't really get out of it. That's when I would say to reach out to somebody and that's, you know, beyond just getting the tips and strategies today. Okay. We need someone to kind of hold your hand for a little bit to help you through this, this tough patch. And I love that because, you know, um, sometimes we just need a little support. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to look for it or ask for it. And in this case, and in many other cases, anything with health, life, finance, business, anything, mm -hmm. sometimes it's important to take a moment, get some support so that you can move forward in the direction you want to go in. Absolutely. And, and on that note, too, you know, we've talked about self-awareness a lot throughout this scheduling in five or 10 minutes a day to do journaling or meditation or whatever it might be to connect with yourself, I think is so valuable. We don't slow down. We don't take that time. And when we do slow down, we're most likely, you know, doing something else. Like we talked about before, watching TV, listening to music. So um, I would, I would really encourage everyone to just take five, 10 minutes a day to dedicate to yourself and building that self-awareness muscle. That's a great tip. I know I'm one of those guilty ones that just goes, 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 and nothing stops. And I'm trying to build in even a 10 minute break where I just close my eyes, sitting down, and with a cup of coffee usually, <laughs> <laughs> or tea, uh, and just uh, just take a moment and and, yeah. and reflect and, uh, and or, or meditate. And I think it um, we don't do that enough, especially now that our lives are so blended with this remote hybrid way of working mm -hmm. on things. Yeah, I completely agree. This has been an amazing interview. Mary Catherine, thank you so much for all this information. 
um, your uh, website and for our listeners letting you know Mary Catherine's website resources links those are all in the episode description you'll be able to read a little bit more about that and click on the link or copy and paste the link into your browser if you want to learn more and keep getting more tips as you're working on finding the right balance in life when it comes to food and nutrition and this idea of fueling our bodies um, Mary Catherine do you have any final words um, any any closing remarks for us as we wrap up today's interview yeah I just want to say thank you again for having me and you know for all the listeners obviously you can find me at all those links and then if you struggle with emotional eating especially during the holidays they do have a group program option um, and really what that is doing is helping you prepare for survive during and thrive after the holidays while keeping great self-awareness and love in mind and so um, for anyone interested that information will be on my website as well Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those resources and all this information. Uh, I know I'm getting a lot out of this already. I hope our listeners do as well and continue becoming empowered with this information. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Coffee and Interview. We'll see you at the next episode.